I want to know everything there is to know about you. I am going to introduce me. You must have spotted her by now. She's always there. Don't I deserve love? Somebody has to like me best. Oh, I'd hardly call you a mere distraction, darling. <laughs> well, what would you call me, Georg? Mm. Lovely. Charming, witty, graceful, the perfect hostess. And uh, you're going to hate me for this. In a way, my saviour. Oh, how unromantic. Well, I would be an ungrateful wretch if I didn't tell you at least once that it was you who brought some meaning back into my life. Oh, I, I am amusing, I suppose. And I do have the finest couturier in Vienna. And the most glittering circle of friends. And I do give some rather gay parties. Oh, yes. But take all that away and you... You have just wealthy, unattached little me, searching just like you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Don't Know Her podcast. I am Scott. And I'm Michael, who's enjoying this sultry voice um, you're putting on. <laughs> oh my, I hadn't fully realised it, but I think it was from doing my Georg episode. <laughs> Your Georg. <laughs> my Georg exercises. <laughs> Hello, Georg. Um, Okay, so yes, we're back again to talk about a darling of the big screen. And in this episode, we're actually dipping back in time a little further than we have before. And we're picking a star of the golden era of Hollywood uh, as we carry on with our Oscars miniseries. So in this one we have a three-time Oscar nominee. Who is uh, this person, Michael? It is Eleanor Parker. Who, yes, is a huge star, is in one of the biggest movies of all time, The Sound of Music, as The Baroness, and yet is not really remembered as much as someone that should be as a three-time Oscar nominee, uh, star in her own right, like she was a pin-up girl. Um, she lived until she was 91, um, sadly stopped, uh, her, sadly her last professional gig was in 1991, um, but she really deserved more. And we'll get into it because a lot of women from the 1940s or 30s or 20s in Hollywood and beyond, as we know, um often don't get the opportunities um, that they deserve when they reach a certain age. Um, but Eleanor Parker is an interesting one because it just doesn't feel like people do remember her. I mean, she is. Mm. there is elements where she does pop up in, in culture, um, like I love in the Jonathan Harvey play and film, Beautiful Thing, where she's mentioned the, like, the little gay boy um, is asked by his mother. Gay <laughs> <Little> boy. Um, <laughs> He's a little gay boy. The mother's like, um, who plays the Baroness in The Sound of Music? Because she knows her son will know. And of course he knows off the top of his head is oh. Eleanor Parker. So she does pop up. So, you know, but she still isn't a Betty Davis, Joan Crawford, or even Julie Andrews, if you want to talk about a direct co-star of hers. Um, and yeah, it's just an interesting example. And there's some fascinating films. Oh, yes, there sure are. I mean, I know Eleanor previous to this moment in time for The Sound of Music but it has been a treat 
going and watching some of the other work she did because uh, she's great. She is great. So it's been a lot of fun. But the the real pusher um, behind this episode was you. Um, are there any sort of uh, key reasons behind that? I think the main reason is because every so often I find myself in the corner of a nightclub or in a pub or, you know, whatever it might be, um, chewing someone's ear off about who Eleanor Parker is. <laughs> and I thought, why not kind of try and encapsulate that energy into one episode of Don't Know Her so that I can leave people to enjoy their lives. Um, <laughs> oh, no. No, on the flip side, the, the a real honest answer is, um, I think she is just so fascinating. So firstly, she plays the Baroness in Sound of Music, a character who we'll focus more on in a bit, but um, I was very interested in as a, as a kid. And I think it's an interesting performance of um, that sort of stereotype of a, the third woman in a relationship, mm. and the older woman as well, let's say. And um, it's just she does that so well without much help i would say from the screenplay or the yeah. the story like the you know that easily could have been a nothing part or one dimensional agreed she also is in one she's also in my favorite best actress lineup ever so she got her first oscar nomination alongside betty davis and Anne baxter in all about eve judy holiday in born yesterday and gloria swanson in Sunset Boulevard, yes. and Elner is nominated for a film called Caged. That is that in itself is like, well, what a five film! Uh-huh. Um, amazing, amazing um, performances in that, um, and any of them could have won in any given year, really, depending on um, what was happening in uh, in voters' minds at the time. Um, even in my mind, I change. There's, there's, there's three people that I would give that to. Anyway, this I could spend hours on that. <laughs> this is the sort of reason why don't talk to me in the nightclub. Um, and yeah, I'm just just find her really glamorous and interesting, and just find her. You know, when I when I was doing my masters in film and was focusing a lot on Hollywood Hollywood in World War Two, she's a movie star that comes out after the world the uh, Second World War, and she is in these stories and plays these parts in a really interesting way. So, like, during the World War, um, you would have got stories uh, led by women, say, like, now Voyager, where we have Betty Davis, who is a Cinderella story. She's this, like, ugly spinster at the start. And then by the end of it, she is independent. She can be interested in a man who's already married, but she is happy with her a lot, and she has set up her home as a kind of a haven for other people. She's independent. She doesn't need men or support. But then after the war has been won, you have stories of women being domesticated continuously, which is where even All About Eve, that's happened at the end. Like Margot Channing, again, Betty Davis, takes up her role as a wife. She lets Eve take the stage instead. So you have... Uh, Eleanor coming into this and there's very interesting films that we, which we will talk about like Caged <laughs> yes. where you where this is played out in such a fascinating way so this is another reason I just was so excited to spend more time because I'd seen Caged and I've seen um, a few others but I just wanted to just dive into her career 
And I'm so glad you did. Also, my partner had just rewatched The Sound of Music when he had COVID and kept texting me during it. And I was like, you know what? We have to do Eleanor back then. Oh, well, that's a, a lovely reason. The, the comfort of that movie is plenty um, wonderful reason to, to chat about Eleanor. Unless you hate children. <laughs> Unless you hate children. Um, well... I do. No, I'm joking. <laughs> and they're not children. I mean, maybe some of them are. Others are like 45 or something, are they now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels like a Liesel. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't really, I feel like The Sound of Music is a film is like impossible to really badmouth. I mean... Oh, plenty just, of people do, though. Oh, do they? Yes, of oh, course. There's people who think it's um, rubbish. Oh. And they are wrong. But yes, no, Lisa wasn't 16 going on 17. I think she was about 25 going on 26. Um, but that's okay too. Well, if only I was going 25 to 26. <laughs> I know. Oh. Is there anything you want to say about Eleanor before we get into her career in films? Like, what has your impression been of her from watching her films now? That she is as commanding an on-screen presence as her most renowned peers from that time. Mm. How's that? Spoilers, we like her. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, she's so wonderful. I think she fits the mould of the classic, the everything you want from watching a movie star, especially a female movie star from this time, Mm -hmm. yet also is clearly very very talented and I've now only seen still five films the the ones that we'll focus on primarily here but even in each of those she's doing something very different I think in some of them in particular they really play into her strengths but in all of them she is allowed to do something that she hadn't done in any of the others I'm sure if we (laughs) go into her broader oeuvre we would see um Maybe the same things cropping up. I'm sure there must have been elements of that, like there were for many women on screen ever. But I felt like I was getting something fresh each time to the point where I almost wouldn't have recognised her Mm -hmm. um, had I not been actively looking out for her Mm -hmm. for doing this pod. And I think that also ties into something I read that she had said about herself, that if somebody recognised her in the street she wasn't doing what she intended with the characterization. Yeah, she certainly doesn't seem to be interested in being a movie star. It was about being an actor. And it's just a, it's a really fascinating approach at a time where the model was movie stars. You know, you had to be a movie star. Even someone like Betty Davis, who fought really hard to be an actor and not be this glamorous woman all the time, which is what women... Uh, female characters were tended to be if they were the leading lady. Um, even Betty Davis had to be a star and be really recognisable and be her own sort of personality in a way Eleanor Parker somehow did avoid. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, she's great. <laughs> there is one thing I would say that I think ties her through or why I have like a pull to her in a kind of a personal way to the way she performs is that she's able to somehow be independent but vulnerable at the same time Mm. and she does that like effortlessly yes and in so many different sorts of situations 
Um, so yeah, the, a lot of the films that we'll we'll focus on, thankfully, do take advantage of that, and it's a shame that people didn't take more advantage of that. Um, God, that sounds like a negative <laughs> way to say a positive um, suggestion. <laughs> but utilize her more. Yeah. Well, yes, and that's what we we hope for most people that we talk about in this pod. So, yes, and I think like someone like say Tony Collette nowadays is similar because she is someone who can hide behind characters and really goes into yeah. characters so then it doesn't like that's the only justification i have for why she is not uh tony collette is not as big as any of her contemporaries yeah. um is that people don't remember her because she's so good at her job yeah i think that's fair i like that comparison um I'm sure Eleanor would too, I hope. Yes, of course. She loved um, <laughs> Muriel's Wedding. Yeah, no, no, she said that many times. <laughs> She's famously said that. Um, okay, so let's get into the story of Eleanor. So Eleanor Jean Parker was born on June the 26th of 1960. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I have broken down. Oh. Um, okay. Let's do that again. Uh, Eleanor Jean Parker was born on the 26th of June, 1922, in Cheddarville, Ohio. Okay, great. She attended public schools in Ohio and graduated from Shaw High School, appearing in a number of school plays. Reflection on her youth and her interest in acting, she says, Ever since I can remember, all I wanted to do is act. But I didn't just dream about it, I worked at it. Oh, yes. Which sounds amazing. She also sounds like, um, and I would have been this kid too in, in certain ways, you know, like people do art or things for fun and then there'll be a student who's like, no, this is serious. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> and I imagine her to be like that. Yeah. And I think that's wonderful. Then, of course, she goes to LA because she wants to focus on film acting. And she appears at the Pas- Pasadena Playhouse. Um which uh, other graduates of, of uh, the Playhouse would be Ernest Borgnine, who people might know from Marty, um, Jean Hackman, and Dustin Hoffman. Mm-hmm. So she's there. Um, she's actually in the audience on her 19th birthday watching her, um, f- her colleagues, her fellow actors, um, when she is actually the one that's been talent scouted um <laughs> so yeah from the audience uh, someone from warner brothers um offers her a screen test whoa <laughs> yeah and from that she gets a long-term contract from june 1941 congrats eleanor lovely work lovely but it didn't start so well because her first film was they died with their boots on oh but her scenes were deleted um, oh, delete it. <laughs> we're cut. I don't delete it. Delete it sounds like a real contemporary word. Yeah. They were cut on the cutting room floor. Oh. Miss Parker, you won't make it here. I don't know what accent that is. <laughs> no, I think it was spot on. Um, so her first uh, proper film debut was in Bus's Roar. Um, roar. Uh, this is theory. Did this again. Roar. Bus. Roar in buses in terms of a public transport. Yeah. And roar in like a like, tiger. Yeah. Okay, great. That's how, I, that's how I heard you, but it's still a wild title. Buses, buses roar. Yeah. Well, it's about a terrorist attack on a bus. Oh, fucking hell. All right. <laughs> so that's 1942. And that um, it follows a, a series of uh, Warner Brothers films, such as The Mysterious Doctor in 1943, Between, Between Two Worlds in 1944, and a remake of, of Human Bondage. Um, which she takes on the role um, 
that made Betty, Dam- Betty Davis very famous. Betty Damon, um, Matt Damon's mother. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Just my favorite actor. I'm, I've, I've talked about it so much in this episode. Do we think, <laughs> do, do we want to call it a Betty Davis episode? Um, but yeah, of human bondage, I guess, is a really good indicator of Eleanor Parker really not wanting to be this pretty leading lady. Of human bondage really requires, uh, or should, I guess, require an actor to de-glam, let's say. Mm-hmm. And from the footage and everything, it looks... She looked rough. Uh, she looked rough. <laughs> um, she, she did the part well. Um, but her big break comes with Pride of the Marines in 1945 with John Garfield. Honey, I... Uh, well, there's a lot of things I'd like to say, but I don't know how to say them, so uh, I'll just cut it down to goodbye. I'd like to see you off at the train. I don't want you to stay up that late. I'm not tired. Nope. All right, Al. If that's the way you want it. It's better that way. You know, I'm, I'm not much good at letter writing. I'll bet you're not. Anything I want to say, I'd better say now. I know I've been kind of monopolizing your time the last couple of months. Uh, I want you to get back in the circulation. Have fun. You don't have to worry about me. And it's about um, um, a man and a woman get engaged before he goes off to war. He um, is blinded during the war and comes back. And she actually does this quite a bit, but she tricks him into, it's like he thinks he's going into a, a nursing, or like a hospital in his hometown, but instead he's coming back to his home and she's going to look after him because he do, he's anxious about what their relationship would be and he doesn't want to be a burden. But this is, this is a kind of a prime example of a film, you know, just after the Second World War where women would be, you know, looking after your men. Mm-hmm. And she is uh, gorgeous in this film in terms of the performance is so like vulnerable. It's like really, uh, it's very easy to feel exactly what that character is going through, even though it's very melodramatic. She's she is wonderful. Yeah, she's oh. like a light. Do you know? It's like oh. just kind of gorgeous. Like, but um, <laughs> her work at Warner Brothers wasn't always smooth sailing and um, she was suspended twice for refusing parts in films um, so this happened quite a lot at the time um, but I think somebody particularly that was having you know early in their career and was being successful and, and was, it was lead parts she was being offered she just didn't think they were interesting enough so it is interesting um, or it is revealing of, of what she wants to do with her career. And that's, uh, the suspensions are just an, one way that the studios would try and bully their talent to do whatever they wanted. But she does take a break from Warner Brothers um, for two years. So she gets married and has a child. Ah. But this break also seems to have renewed her interest in certain types of roles. And she says, I've had my fling at roles that have little or no relation to most people's lives. I want to keep away from such assignments as I can from now on, even though, as many may say, they mean exercising your skill and talent in acting. Hmm. I don't actually know what that means now that I've read it out loud. Exercising your skill and talent in acting. Yes. So... She's flexing. She's flexing. This leads to... Caged. (gasps) (laughs) Which um, is a 1950 film... It wins Eleanor the Voldy Cup for Best Actress at the Venice Film Festival. Gets her her first Oscar nomination, as I mentioned before, beside some amazing performances. Oh, yeah. 
and it's it's it, uh, so this was the second time I watched it, and we actually watched it together on the projector. Um, it is a film that I've known about for a long time because of its uh, queer content. In fact, um, it was originally offered, uh, well, it's actually greenlit for Betty Davis. Again, I'm mentioning her again. But um, it was greenlit for her. Um, and she said, no, I won't do this Dyke movie. That's oh, what that is. <laughs> and then they offered it to Joan Crawford, who Elner Parker says, um, Joan Crawford actually suggested Elner Parker. Right. And what the, at the same time, Betty Davis would do it. Oh, I guess so. I don't know. I didn't. I... She was quite, quite significantly older. Yeah, maybe it was green or like put into production. But then it seems quite significant. It would happen in the late 40s, 50s rather than. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Elner Parker is lying about this. <laughs> but it just also makes sense as a Betty Davis part. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, I guess it, age doesn't necessarily matter. If, if Betty Davis was, say, I'm going to stab a guess at saying maybe 15 years her senior-ish, maybe 20. God, that'd be terrible if it's much less than that. <laughs> you, <you're laughs> Is it important that that character's as young and fresh as no, because Eleanor we, seems? No, because actually... So, we should explain the story, oh, but, yes. but with this character, I think somebody could be naive or innocent at whatever age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does follow Eleanor Parker arriving at a, a prison, a women's prison, of course, and... She has done what seems like a minor theft, like is it fifty dollars or something? Yeah. And um, Agnes Moorhead is the boss, or one of the bosses, and is quite kind to her. Tells her she could be out in a few months if she's good. All this, and then Elner meets the system. So we meet characters, good and bad, all different motives, and it's basically a morality tale in essence, about, like, how do you survive this kind of broken system? But it also is a queer-as-hell movie about (laughs) um, power dynamics, about, like, so many things, like sexuality, sensuality, um, greed, America, women. Um, I, I think it's a really loaded, fascinating film that, of course, has aged in some ways, not very well at all, um, but also so much still to say. Mm. Yeah, I think it's actually pretty fresh in most ways. I enjoyed it tremendously. I think this is a film with um, a cast all delivering A-game stuff because it's a chocolate box of characters of all very different types and each one bringing something very different to um, this environment Um, gosh it's like Agnes Moorhead is great but then you've also got uh, Hope Emerson Hope Emerson playing the matron right she is brilliant you've got Betty Gard Amazing, um, amazing, yeah. A character called Kitty and she's another standout. Loads of them everyone's doing really wonderful stuff in this. Brenda Fricker? <laughs> no, she's not. <laughs> Is that, does she not play the Irish woman that doesn't really move from her bed? <laughs> oh my God, you're aging. Poor Brenda. Um, but I see the similarity. Um, the bird lady. The bird lady. So, 
Caged is, in many ways, well, no, something now you'd think as a trodden female prison type drama, like lots of familiar terrain, but it's only because we've had the blessing of bad girls. Um, <laughs> that's the key um, piece that we would refer back to when talking about female prison drama. Um, or, or anything else, you know, it feels familiar. Even Orange is the New Black. There's lots of yeah. kind of familiar tropes and relationship dynamics, which um, we see in this film from 1950. So actually, I imagine this would have been uh, one of the first mainstream stories kind of really, really just focusing within the walls of a female prison. And Eleanor Parker, my, 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 yeah. showing up is just wonderful. <laughs> I've been so lonely the last two weeks. Those other women, the way they talked to me, the awful things they said. And this matron that was watching, never leaving you alone. It's, it's, again, a very familiar switch in terms of what she does as a character that we would see now, but it's still very thrilling to see her playing this very green character. And then as she is hardened by prison life, um, she turns. And this is where you go, wow, this is a captivating screen presence. She is irresistible in this. And... Like you've mentioned, that Oscar lineup is exceptional, but she's very, very welcome there. Oh, yeah. And it is so striking what she does. Like, I honestly, like, we have loads of um, arcs of stories where somebody is, as you say, green at the start and is hardened by what happens. Um, but. Honestly, like the film may not reach the heights of, say, Godfather, but like her performance, if you like Al Pacino or something, like that's the comparisons I would be making. Merry Christmas, Marie. Why aren't you singing? Give me one good reason why I should. That's how good I think she is in this film. Great. It's so exciting. It's so much fun as well. This film is yeah. just a really, really good time. Yeah. Because there's so much going on with the dynamics and characters who come in throughout yeah. um, the piece. There's one character in particular, gosh, I have to remember, um, Elvira, is that who it is? Yeah, the Elvira newbie, Powell, yeah. yeah, who joins, who's this um, kind of legend within prison. She's going to take over the um, the whole show and she's there to sort of recruit girls and steal Kitty, this other character's kind of thunder in that role. And it is just so camp and wonderful I, it, I really, really had a great time with this one. Yeah, it's like um, Bad Girls or Footballers' Wives meets The Godfather or Ozark or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Like, and I mean that in the best way possible. I mean, it's one of those films where, you know, there's a few reasons why I guess gay people may enjoy this film more than others or queer people might enjoy it more than others. Is that, you mean, the villain is Hope Emerson, who is this um, physically large woman her like her presence is so domineering yeah. but also when we meet her she's offering chocolates and whatever basically for sex or some sexual um, pleasure that she's getting out of it which Eleanor um, and actually we never see that actually happen but we know it does happen and the way that's done in the film is very um, 
it's very interesting. I mean, I just found it really, mm-hmm. really. And and I mean, there's no coding that character anything other than queer and also as a villain. So that, that's where maybe the age bit comes in quite a bit. But still, it's enjoyable to watch because now it's standards like it's camp, it's high camp. Yeah. Um, it's not written by or directed by women, so it also has women behaving in stereotypical ways, which. Again, like football is why they're bad girls. It's really entertaining to watch, but you know, nowadays you get something a bit more deep. But but it's not without its merit. Like I really do. Yeah, I rate everything you said. I second, and I just think the more people that watch it, the better. Yes. I think it's a really weirdly underappreciated film. Yeah, no, completely. It's it doesn't make sense to me that I wasn't familiar with this film until you told me about it because I thought it felt iconic. Yeah. I think that's what's key here is it feels iconic yeah. and it should be better known. Like if you think of Glee Jane Lynch's character is Hope Emerson like there's all these like touch points which I assume mm. is coming from Caged but that not maybe directly or people aren't aware but it has because it was a bit it was successful um, anyway but <laughs> I could spend a whole episode talking about Caged um, but yeah it, that really launches Eleanor like, it's a hit, she has her Oscar nomination, she has her award at Venice, and she's all set. So much so that she negotiates with Warner Brothers um, to leave um, and signs a new contract with Paramount for one film per year with the option of making films outside of that studio, which is a very lucrative offer. And the Paramount contract starts with another Oscar-nominated performance, Detective Story. Gosh, she is just... Going for it this time, huh? And directed by William Wyler, the lead actor is Kirk Douglas, um, and it is essentially a day in the life of a police. Um, I was going to say a police office, a police station. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what do you call a police place? <laughs> <laughs> a police station. Um, and the detective whose story we're following is Mr. Douglas, um, and Elner is his wife. And you just get to meet loads of different characters. And there is, like, one underlying story which carries the film through, um, which heavily involves Eleanor Parker. But it, again, like Cage, feels really contemporary. Yes. And really sexy for a film of that time. At the beginning, I mean, like, I, I was really taken by the film in general, but I was like, whoa, like, this is... Like really full on. <laughs> well, Elmer Parker and Kirk Douglas are like, we need to have sex, and now they are. They do want a child, so there is a there is a a reason for them to get away with this in a, for a movie in the nineteen mm. fifties. But that really is is like a second motive, I think, for those characters. Um, and then you have Lee Grant, who's like stuck in the in the police station, and just like <laughs> her like banter with the the. Uh, policeman that she's speaking with is also feels really fresh and interesting and the I mean there's a load of things that could be dealt with if you were to do a police station now like it's a very white film um it's a very interesting film which we'll get into in terms of Eleanor Parker's character um I, like I found that really hard to watch a lot of that I don't think mm-hmm. You'd ever do that, um, but but what I mean is the essence and the setup and all is the contemporary part. The, the how it develops is n- is not contemporary to me. I don't think you could ever make a film like that 
and story, people wouldn't want to tell that story, not in the way they do it. Yes. No, I don't know what I was expecting, but again, this is maybe a good follow-on from Caged and that this is um, an ensemble of actors delivering um, really interesting characters, pretty much single location. Um, with that, it feels theatrical, but of its time, we can imagine what contemporary films would look like in this same um, gene that... As you describe um, the kind of sexiness of the beginning, you can imagine this would be a, a harder rated film now with very different kind of angles and approaches to showing that sexuality um, or violence or yeah. uh, interrelationship circumstances that are happening. I found it incredibly immersive and engaging mm. I, I was hooked immediately it was very zippy to me it carried me through because of this sort of um, almost if it wasn't so kind of lead character focused for the most part on um, Kirk Douglas and I guess with that Eleanor Parker on uh, on far less screen time it feels kind of like a Robert Altman mm-hmm. type ensemble situation um, with Lee Grant as the other standout playing a shoplifter and she's just so much fun to watch here, she's just really delightful in in how she wants to kind of respond to everyone she's around and she has kind of some really fun things to say and fun dialogue pieces to do but I guess for me really interestingly that um, Eleanor Parker is nominated for Best Performance by an Actress in a Lead Role again here. And this is the shortest screen time ever nominated mm. for that award at around about 20-ish minutes. Um, now it just... that would, I mean, it's, it's kind of baffling that it does happen because it's so short. But it yeah. is, if you look at the tagline of the film, and the tagline is very bizarre to me... <laughs> A love story of a man whose wife was more woman than angel. And I think without that sort of tagline and central focus, mm. you would look at her as a supporting um, yeah. performance within this, even though she derives the central. Yeah, story. well, I think it's... it's a, So it's about her, her character with Michael Douglas, and she is... Kirk. Mike... <laughs> May that be the same person? No, joking. That is, I'd never mean that. Um, I. It's funny. I. I. Well, see, I don't begrudge. I don't really care about supporting versus lead in most cases. Like I'm not one of those people. But and I know lots of people feel very strongly about those things. That's great. But I, in this case, I actually think she's so important, particularly to the second half of the story. Sure. So it it. I don't know. I think it's a great stat, and I also understand why she would be lead. Um, um, I don't think she would have won either way. Maybe that would. I guess that's where the frustration comes for people. Like if she was in supporting, would she win? Um, but she, like her story, basically, one of the strands of the people in the police station is a doctor who performs abortions well it performs lots of surgeries it seems but abortions and they and Kirk Douglas has it in for this person and one of his colleagues questions Eleanor Parker about this and asks if she's ever had an abortion did you ever have a child you know Jim and I have no children 
I mean, before you were married to Jim? I was never married to anyone but Jim. I know that. Then how can you ask? Mrs. McLeod, my job is to find out the truth. Please answer that question. You have no right to ask that. I have a right to get at the truth. Did you ever have a baby? No, Lieutenant Monaghan, I did not. Like, I find this harrowing to watch this sequence of events. But I think how that is performed is incredible because there's this constant need for that Helner's character to figure out how best to get through the situation. And she plays it so well in that, you know, she hasn't prepared. She isn't willing to share in a, unless, other than she's been forced to. Um, she has shame, she's embarrassed, but she also loves herself. She also loves Kirk Douglas, but she loves herself more. I think it's a really, I just think it's really powerful to watch. Um, and I don't know if we would have, you know, in the 90s, you'd never have a storyline like that Give and have that character have the time to be able to articulate why they had an abortion, why they didn't tell people, why they are still living day to day with that knowledge. You still have shame, but also appreciate why they had to do it. I think that's a, like so... Well done. And in 20 minutes, you know, and five minutes of those are flirting with Kirk Douglas at the start. I think that is spectacular, yeah. you know, because without that, then the film doesn't work as a whole. Um, so regardless whether she's a supporter or lead, I think her importance in the film perhaps justifies like why she's seen as a, the lead in the film. Yeah, alongside no, her, no. If that makes sense. Yes, for sure. But I, I, I I'm just that. upset. Like her performance in this is so good. It's <laughs> so good. It's so good. It's very... It's a really good companion to Caged, um, not just because of the similar time consecutive Oscar nominations in consecutive years, but because it has this um, flip moment for her where something um, makes her character kind of switch and we see a very different shade and then that allows her to uh, tap into a very different approach to the character and it is why she's fabulous and when she gets these roles I think she's at her peak mm-hmm. um, but yes a, a lot of things that I think it's not the same because she's very very different to who she's playing in Sound of Music very different but there's there's uh, things she's pulling on here the, the kind of the, the poise mm. um, and grace that I think we would see uh, come up later which is why she she would be the star that she was and held up as this glamorous person because of this warmth and radiance and energy and um, the way that she can kind of be so commanding in a moment where she kind of takes back some autonomy in a situation where she is being belittled uh, for choices that she made. I could never find it in me to see tiny flaws in you because I loved you. Oh, I still do. But let's have the truth for once. You think you're on the side of the angels, but you're not. You haven't even a drop of ordinary human forgiveness in your whole nature. You're a cruel and vengeful man. 
Yeah, I'm really glad to have watched it. I'd never seen it before. I'd seen clips, but um, it's certainly... Anyone that would be interested in, like, a character, like, a characters-even-driven story um, with, and gives you an insight into what conversations might have been about abortion and women's rights um, in the 1950s, Detective Story is the film for you. There we go. So she's a star um, at this point. Um, so she appears in the swashbuckling comedy Scaramouche, in 1952, um, and then she jumps into Above and Beyond. It's a biopic of a pilot who dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima. Uh, she's also in a Western with William Holden, of course. Dreaming. Oh, He's my favorite. favorite. Um, Escape from Fort Bravo, and that's in 1953. And then she's also in The Naked Jungle in 1954. So, you know, she is riding high she's busy she's getting george uh, george <laughs> i don't know who george is she is she is getting roles she deserves i mean no i'm not even making sense now she is getting roles that she's enjoying and are you know large like she's not above the title build but uh, oh sorry she's not top billing but she's mostly it seems above the title okay great um, and then in 1955, um, she has two uh, very successful films, um, Interrupted Melody, of which she gets her third and final Academy Award nomination for Best Actress, Yeah. and The Man with the Golden Arm, the Otto Preminger movie. The Man with the Golden uh, Arm. <laughs> um, <laughs> which, um, a really interesting twosome. I don't know... Which one you would like to talk about more or first? Not more. <laughs> um, let's talk about the man with the golden arm. So the man with the golden arm is a film directed by Otto Preminger, and it is starring a nobody called Frank Sinatra. Um, we'll have to do him next. <laughs> yeah, who knows him? He has returned from spending time in prison and he's returned to his wife, played by Eleanor Parker. Um, we discover that she is um, paralysed from the waist down, unable to walk. Or is she? Or is she? She's in a wheelchair, which um, is something that Eleanor Parker became quite partial to in her career, playing many Love characters she, in wheelchairs. Yeah. Like, Disabled actors would have a lot to say about that now. I mean, 1955 well, sure alone, as we'll discover in the next film we talk about, yes, she she does it many times. Anyway. Well, you know, when you buy, like, it's an expensive prop at that time. So <laughs> exactly. she was like, hire me, and I, I have my own wheelchair. I'll bring my own wheelchair. Wow, perhaps that explains it oh, all. Oh, no, that's sad. I mean, let's have representation where we can, please. Of course. And more, where, more than where we can. Anyway. So, um, Frank's returned home to his wife. Um, he, as it would seem, was in prison. Actually, I don't know. Was he in prison for drug offences or? Uh, it's hinted at. I don't. They never say the drug. And actually, was googling this because I think, I think it's heroin. That's the other thing. Yeah. So heroin is not explicit in the film either. He's taking um, drugs to the arm through a needle, <laughs> so it's it's presumed um, to be heroin. But anyway, he, he's cleaned up. He's back, and he's got aspirations to be a drummer. Um, so he kind of sets that in action. Eleanor Parker is not into the idea at all. 
Tim Novak, the another luminous screen presence, mm. uh, shows up as a character called Molly, um, who is a flame from his past, flame. who yes. is more encouraged. Is that unfair? <laughs> no, flame in my head means like gay, like a flaming homosexual. <laughs> so when she says she's a flame, I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> I wish. But also, yes, <laughs> um, <laughs> she's more encouraging of his dreams, more kind of supportive than we seem to see Eleanor be. And he spends time as a dealer within card games to, we assume, pre-prison days, fund his drug addiction, and then now the slippery slope appears before him and he falls back into it. I guess that's um, a fair setup. I of think so. The film. I think it is important to, because Eleanor Parker, we've seen her, or we've talked about her in Rose, where she's been very independent and strong. This is the most dependent like I've ever seen her yes. do. And she is, you know, if if um, the main storyline is Frank Sinatra being addicted to drugs, her, like, plot reflects that. She is addicted to him. Oh, I'm so lonely, Frankie, without you. I'm so lonely, Sasha. Let me look at you. And she's mm-hmm. doing anything she can, which includes lying about needing a wheelchair, and um, which includes killing. Spoiler. Includes killing people. It's not. A, it comes early enough into the film. Um, she she pushes. Uh, she, I want to say that. Oh my um, god! Spoiler again. Yeah, sorry. She kill. <laughs> she kills people. She she does so much. She's so rude to everyone else. I mean, rude. That's that's a she polite so way to say rude. it. She's just very rude. Um, but she's she very killed rude. him. Very rude. She um she is clutching at whatever she can to keep this man in her life and it's one of those roles like this happens every so often um and it's a sign of i guess where eleanor parker's career was about to go but she really should have been cast as like uh, not as this like down and out wife at this time in her career yeah um it's a very she's she's terrific in the role but it is and it's fun to watch her play sort of a Mm -hmm. desperate woman oh yeah um but it is a shame that it is such a like i don't know it's not it's not i would say the most rewarding of parts um and I and I understand or I can appreciate like the trajectory of what would have follow after this, like over the next few years. It's but yes, I think that that's kind of hit the nail on the head. She's it's very fun, if that's fair to say, oh, yeah. to watch her playing this type. Um, but it is an interesting film. Kim Novak's character is very interesting counterpart to Eleanor Parker in that. They kind of have this switch moment very, very initially, although you see the neediness, the desperation of uh, Zosh. You kind of imagine Molly as um, the woman on the side, sneaky, but actually it's sort of the other way around and she's supporting him in ways that Eleanor's character can. It's complicated, it's interesting. Like initially I was like, oh, this person's a devil on his shoulder. But no, it's that they both have kind of complicated motivations, mm. perhaps, in, in coming from very different places. Seduction versus rejection, kind of where you tie your affections, um, fighting for things when you know you're losing. All of these things, a very interesting watch. I did find it to be a schlog 
compared to the other films we watched. Mm. Um, because of its subject matter, and it does have a real sense of hopelessness, which I found apparent very, very quickly. Um, and it's very cyclical. So, you know, he's released, he's on the up, and then he's on the... And then we're kind of in that kind of circle place, which you do see with many addiction movies. And I, I think that's very relevant and important to movies which are talking about addiction. Um, but this one did feel uh, drawn out, even though it's not that long of mm. a film. Um, so I'm glad I've seen it. I don't know how quickly I'd recommend others to see it, but maybe you feel differently. Um, it's, it's To be honest, alongside The Sound of Music, this is one that I feel like is celebrated. Do you know? Like, yeah. Maybe it's because of Otto Preminger or Frank Sinatra. I don't know, but um, no, this isn't the film I would recommend. I mean, Caged would be the one, or as we'll go on to, actually, I think Interrupted Melody is a really striking film in a in a different sort of way um utilizing a few uh, i don't know i just basically yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't it's not that i wouldn't recommend it i just wouldn't be wouldn't occur to me to mention yes i think that's fair but um was successful but so was a film where she is the proper lead um interrupted melody an interrupted melody is a biopic um, at a time where biopics were not what they are today. So not like awards, magnity, um, you know, show off, a show off, but opportunities for actors to display their talents. Um, and this is uh, focused on Marjorie Lawrence, who is an opera singer. And it co-stars Glenn Ford, who actually gets top billing, even though he really is secondary to the story which is a real shame. But they're both above the title. Mm. Um, and it follows uh, Marjorie as um, she becomes an opera singer and then reaches the top of her game to just uh, contract polio. Is that how you say it? I don't. But she gets polio and she's not able to um, perform the way that she's been trained and taught to and really struggles with her mental health. Yeah. And we then we follow the story from that point on. And we should say just prior to um, polio, she got married and there was a question about her settling down. I mean, I love the music. I mean, the music was beautiful to me listening to it and watching Eleanor transform on stage for all these different characters. Yeah. It Honestly, there was a moment where it's like, that isn't Eleanor Parker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a couple of times where I felt like Isn't that. it amazing? Yeah. And I think... That is something that I, I, that sort of fatigue with more contemporary um, biopics, for whatever reason, it felt a bit fresher in a way, even though that seems weird because it's not the most exciting visually. Um, but there was something about her performance I just was like enthralled by. So you got to learn to crawl before you can walk. Put me down, Tom. I won't do it. I won't do it. Please, Tom. Please. I won't. I won't. Now, when a wave comes along, just let it pick you up, Marge, and pull you along. Just kind of push you forward. That's it now. Again, we're getting something different from her. We're getting a solid lead um, again here. Yeah, I agree. At the beginning, I was like, gosh, we're trotting through events here, like, very, very fast. Her brother played by um, thereafter Bond... Roger Moore. Yeah. 
and that kind of the the these events unfolding very very quickly her being on a farm in Australia to to being trained in France to being on the stage to doing multiple operas to finding her then to be husband to be it's like woof but I remember thinking at the start I imagine this will make it feel zippy and it will be nicely paced and and that was how I felt Mm -hmm. certainly by the end that it it, it did kind of whoosh along Um, I can imagine this being very rewarding and fun for her because there are montage but they're not montages in the senses of like quick cuts it's like Mm. drawn out sequences 10 minutes in the film of seeing her perform in a variety of operas and I can imagine gosh that's very very satisfying for her getting to act out all of these characters within the character getting to play little parts within what would go on to be very iconic more often than not um wagner operas um yes these snapshot moments so there was a lot that delighted me about it um even if it didn't pull me in all of the time. I think it perhaps seemed to neglect to explore the more trying moments of her life because it certainly was a difficult one, mm-hmm. um, especially after contracting polio. And that bit also zipped along quite quickly in a way that I thought was confusing, perhaps. Um, but I know, just based on the feel and the playfulness that you described, that this film was trying to be uplifting and therefore staying on mission meant approaching it in the way mm-hmm. it did and I don't necessarily begrudge it fully of that it's just that it may have neglected being more interesting than it was for sure yeah it doesn't seem to be interested in doing that um, and Eleanor she mentions this is her favourite of her films so yes oh, I imagine it is incredibly one, okay. satisfying yeah, yeah great um, she does lose the Oscar again um, but she is in a huge hit. So you would hope, as you know, two successful films, one where she's Oscar-nominated and um, she is giving such a great performance, you'd hope the future would be bright. Um, But the following year uh, followed um, The King and Four Queens with Clark Gable. Um, Lizzie in 1957, where she plays a woman with split personality um, which reminded me of that Joanne Woodward film, um, The Faces oh, of Eve. Yeah. But anyway, I um, and then also a remake of The Painted Veil, um, which for those who do not know, The Painted Veil was remade again <laughs> with Naomi Watts, yeah. um, but it was also an old um, Greta uh, Garbo movie. I nearly said Greta Gerwig yeah, to so get confused. Like, <laughs> Greta Gerwig. Uh, Greta Garbo! <laughs> oh my God. Um, and... Uh, the last two films of those were flops. Like she, she basically was seen as not the most successful um, actor of her time. Which you know that is a hard thing to overcome back then. I mean, it's a hard thing to overcome now, really, um, for women. But back then, it, uh, when studios ruled, it was very tricky. Um, and rather upsettingly, like she was wanted to produce her own film and it was going to be about uh, French resistance fighters. Um, but because of the poor performance of her recent films, that was cancelled, which breaks my heart a little bit. Um, and at this time, according to her own words, um, she says that people were surprised by her choices because of their lack of drama or depth. So the films she's referring to here are Hole in the Head, which reunites her with Frank Sinatra, and she's playing 
a widow who has a has a kind of romance with um, Frank Sinatra, who's also a widower. Um, that's in 1959. And then Home from the Hill in 1960, where again, it's, you know, she's a romantic but uh, part, but not to the forefront of the story. And then after that, there's a string of secondary roles in films and not even, you know, exciting films as, as uh, she says, average films. I mean, this. I don't know where people are getting this thing for because I she doesn't do interviews, but that's what she quoted saying. Okay, okay. Um, I don't know the films well enough to say, but that I guess in itself, films that are not remembered by history, and um, but also, and this is huge for the nineteen sixties, TV projects. So for for someone to go to do TV projects, then like that, it's only recently you will have these big, sort of, you know, TV. I don't know, like projects for movie stars. That's, I mean, what in the nineties even that would have been a big deal yeah. and a step down for a, a movie star to be doing TV. Um, so all in all, not looking great. But of course, enter Robert Wise, who he claims he could have had anyone: Grace Kelly, Kim Novak, you name it. But he wanted Eleanor Parker Brilliant. for the Baroness. Oh. Perfect. I mean, she is the and in the credits yeah. at the beginning of Sound of Music. So I only noticed that this time. I'm like, well, okay, she is the star here. She is the kind of elevated, um, tenured person who is going to come in and be commanding and important as so many and credits within Fillmore. And it's something that we know is negotiated for now to get the and credit in film do you reckon this is something she negotiated for or do you reckon this was just the the kind of early days of the the you know the matinee is that the word i'm looking for the like um not matinee yeah. <laughs> the um <laughs> the uh what do you call it when you get like a name that appears the um the <laughs> what do you, do you do you mean in a cinema yeah um <laughs> I still don't know what you mean, but you know where there's a name that's on the kind of like the top billed star. The no. um, yeah, well, yeah, but I'm, I guess you would call them like a oh gosh, no, it's the marquee, a, marquee, yeah, name. marquee name. So I don't know where, where my mind's going with um, yeah, yeah. I well, I I don't know the answer to that, but I might assume that it would be to do with contracts. Mm. Um, rather than Elner Parker asking for it, it might be like. We want someone like Eleanor Parker, but we don't want their name on the poster. So we can, if we want to, hide that. Huh. Um, so she she's very celebrated um, in the, as you say, the title uh, of in the film. But um, she doesn't need to have her name on the posters. Right. I don't know, though. I honestly don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe she did. Maybe she's like, Bobby, I'll do your little movie, but I won't be in it unless... You title me as Eleanor Parker as Baroness Schrader. Yeah. <laughs> because I love that as well, yeah. that it says... <laughs> oh, no, as the Baroness. Dun, dun, dun. And you'd be sitting there being like, hell yeah, that's why I paid this money for this ticket. I want to watch a four-hour movie who is Eleanor Parker as the Baroness. It's not four hours, is it? No, I can't remember. It's close to three. Um, so The Sound of Music, for those who somehow live under a rock is a story about how a woman steals another woman's husband 
doesn't become a nun, treats children like shit and like performing monkeys. Oh my god. <laughs> and escapes the Nazis. Yeah. Um, no, it's the story of Maria, who will never be a nun, leaves the convent to... Or no, she doesn't leave the convent. She just has a sabbatical visit. She's on secondment with the um, Von Trapp family. <laughs> and she meets the dishy, um, oh, Christopher yeah. Plummer. F- f- and the Baroness. And her gay friend Max, um, <laughs> and the Baroness and um, Christopher Plummer's captain are engaged. Actually, they're not engaged, are they? They are together, and there's there are conversations sure around these not. things. She's coming to meet the children. She's being part. You have a true sense of um, she has this wonderful life in Vienna, isn't it? And yeah. she comes to Salzburg to. I guess get to know the kids um, and to get to know them she does and then the story kind of follows as um, Christopher Plummer's captain falls in love with Maria Maria falls in love with the captain and the children and then the Nazis are coming to power um, I do think the Baroness particularly how um, it works in the movie is Fascinating, and to Elner Parker's credit, that it works so well without it feeling one-dimensional. Yes. So in the first half, which really is all that the Baroness is there for, um, she's there to provide conflict, and that conflict is, I think, really interesting. Like, so the captain, you know, could go and just be married to this woman. Or he could stay, uh, sorry, and if he marries the Baroness, we know she's going to send the kids to boarding school because she she says that. Um, We have a sense that their life would be about parties and socialising and status. And he has that choice or he could choose to marry this idiot nun. No, No, he could marry this woman who who seems to prioritise, like, creativity over um, academia, which is is important for the kids, and um, knows how to make things out of curtains, Um, (laughs) and can sing a song. Um, She also was in Mary Poppins, so it was... This is what I was thinking as a kid, I was like, what the fuck? Um, She's literally wearing a gold dress, and this other one is wearing a fucking 90 or something. (laughs) Anyway, how how superficial I was, a little gay kid. Imagine seven-year-old me being like, ugh, what is Maria wearing? (laughs) Um, But the Baroness, like it is, but she also, like instead of being this one thing, she has her own sense of self, her own identity. She doesn't need his money. She doesn't need anything. She's just kind of ego is at play there, let's say. Like that's that's the main thing, which I think she does beautifully. Like her coming out to see her fiancé at this point dancing with... Maria, gorgeously, like so clearly in love with each other. Yeah. Why, that was beautifully done. What a lovely couple you make. Yes, I think it's time the uh, children said goodnight. Then she is the she is the one. Then she's trying to decide after the kids have performed at this um, kind of this celebration in their house. Oh well, in, in Georg's house. How do you say it, Gaylord? I want to say no, Georg. Georg yes. Georg's house. Um, she's like, like zigzagging through the party, listening to people complimenting Maria, complimenting the children. And she's like, what about me? <laughs> so she goes up to the bedroom to be like, 
get out, Maria. No, but she says it in such no. a campy, fun, supportive way because I think she she's like you're you're messed up and you don't know what you want out of life. Yeah, you go and you leave. You leave. You live. You don't mess up my life because of a whim that you may not be a nun or you may be a nun. There's nothing more irresistible to a man than a woman who's in love with him. In love with him? Of course. But what makes it so nice is he thinks he's in love with you. But that's not true. Well, surely you've noticed the way he looks into your eyes. And you know, uh, you blushed in his arms when you were dancing just now. Don't take it to heart. He'll get over it soon enough, I should think. Men do, you know. Then I should go. I mustn't stay here. Is there something I can do to help? No, nothing. Yes. Please don't say a word about this to the captain. No. No, I wouldn't dream of it. Goodbye, Maria. I'm sure you'll make a very fine nun. I think it's really fun writing this sort of nudging her in a certain way. Like, yes, you know you're in love with this man. That's a problem, isn't it? And what? Yeah, it's it's. She's leading Maria towards leaving. Yes, for sure. It's and what a way to say it. Like, maybe wear this dress because. The way the captain looks at you yeah. is like he can't take your eyes off you. Yeah. And you think like somehow you're being really sexy. Like I do yeah, read a queer element is. to this too. Like maybe the Baroness yeah. also wants Maria. No, <laughs> it is. It, there is something like that in there. And that's why it is fascinating. I think I maybe didn't have the same immediate connection upon first watch to the Baroness as you did. But I always have found her to be a complex character even when I was younger. I felt sorry for her even though we see the moments which are kind of more they feel like selfish but I think like you said the the, the motivations are not that she needs money etc so it is from love and we do see really beautiful moments. The moment where she does you know he says to her he basically starts to break off and she then sort of pushes back in this way of, no, actually, I don't think this was going to work. But her eyes filling with, yeah. like, tears and she's just kind of holding his gaze and saying all these things. And it's so kind. It's the most kind response you could have to something like that to make him feel better. It's no use. You and I. I'm being dishonest to both of us. Utterly unfair to you. Two people talk of marriage. No, don't. Don't say another word, Georg, please. <sighs> you see, uh, there are other things I've been thinking of. Fond as I am of you, I really don't think you're the right man for me. You're, um, <laughs> you're much too independent. And I, I need someone who needs me desperately. Or at least needs my money desperately. And you know she doesn't believe it. And that's where I think it's the magic of her yeah. performance where it's like, oh no, she she has fallen for this man and she is struggling with what she's saying. 
Yeah, that's so funny. So do you know how I read that, actually? Okay, go for it. And this is why... And I'll come back. There's two points about that scene, because that is a scene where, like, I have fallen in love with her and also think it's a very... There's a reason why me, as a queer little boy, would have kind of... And every time I've seen it since, like, resonates. But go on. the third... I think she is... She knows she's fighting a losing battle. Um, yes. I don't... I think she's gradually, like, resigned. Like, it's okay. I and agree, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So I don't... I don't... I honestly think she's... She's not sad. Like, I think it's like, oh. okay. Like, when she says, I need someone who needs me, and then very openly oh, says, okay. or at least needs my money, she's basically saying, like... You know, I don't need... This isn't actually what I need. I think there... I, no, I mean, that's good. But she's still upset. Yes, but then whatever. that's the emotion. But, that's but, where it's like, coming so from. So there's an... Imp- yeah. Like, there's a, a sadness, of course. Because, yeah. you know, even... You know, I think of people that I have romantically or just in friendships that I have been disconnected to and know that's the last time I'll see them for a long time or maybe yeah, I'll never be that. And it's that. Yeah, So I, I, I get all that. of that. Um, but I also want her as a hero. <laughs> as yeah. a, but then the flip side is she... She's almost like in a glass cage, like in this, in the sound of music, which is very sort of, even the captain sings and whatever, like everybody, Max, her gay friend is into, I mean, when I call him gay friend, we don't know that, but I assume he is, but um, everyone's having fun and wants to dance and the Baroness is just like, I just, I just want to be glamorous. I just want to have this lifestyle. (laughs) I don't want any Mm. of this. And there's something I find really, I don't know, like... uh, What's it, like adi- not addictive, but that's something I respond to in that yeah. character, and I'm like, I I mean, as you know, I love singing all, so that like, fine. But I don't want to live in some sort of sugar coated, like do re mi. If I want to learn, if I'm teaching somebody numbers or notes, I don't need a whole fucking jingle with yeah. deer and stuff in it. Um, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. I mean, we can go on and on about queer coded, villainous or antagonist oh, characters, sure. but that I, to me. It's great. I mean, I'm sure she, like, she's very sexy and everything, but there's also no, like, um, warmth to her in a way that you obviously you get with Maria and a more traditional, like, feminine sure. thing, which is why I think the queerness kind of comes into. But I also love that. I Like, yeah. I love how she's kind of comes in and I just believe her to have the most fabulous life, having sex with everybody, not really caring about the stuff in the world. Um, I realize she's based on a real person, but I don't know anything about that person, but I assume all this to be true. Like she has like a sex dungeon, you know, she has a, a living maid, all this sort of stuff. Oh okay. <laughs> but that's what I imagine of her. Like, oh, I don't know great. what it is. Okay. But anyway. Wow. But, uh, a very different imagination. Well, what do you imagine she's doing? Like sitting at home reading Pride no, and Prejudice? No, no, no. I imagine she's never just sitting at home. No, but... Uh, she's never cooked a meal in her life. I'll tell you that. Yes, that I think is fair. Uh, I I think this is a really stunning performance. Um, an overlooked one, like you say, in the kind of grand scheme of this film. Should have been Oscar nominated. Yes, it should have been Oscar nominated because it is It is genuinely, for all you can say about this film and it being kind of sort of obvious twee, whatever, 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 I think there are complexities which are fun and she is the key complexity in the whole thing because, yes, she's not warm in the way Maria is, but she is warm in a completely different way and I find it fascinating that she, she gives her this warmth and kindness yet has her own agenda and like you say i think you've articulated in a way that makes me even more interested in her so thank you for that but um the the kind of performance she's always doing like she sees everything 
when we have moments where the captain is opening up and he's starting to sing and get involved, if you look at her in the background, even when she's not the one talking, she's almost going to speak a lot. Mm. Um, so she's always performing, and I think that adds so much to sort of her responding to everything around her. And ultimately, like you say, she knows what's going on. She's fighting this losing battle, and she's not just sitting there. You do see her responding to things it, the whole way through um, her performance. And I really like what you said about the moment between her and Maria and maybe she has kind of a, uh, eyes for Maria because when those two first encounter each other, which is the very famous scene of the kids and Maria coming back on the boat and mm. the captain and the baroness have arrived back in Salzburg, and the whereas the captain is very bemused with this situation initially, the baroness is laughing. And whether she's laughing at Maria or with mm. Maria, I think is very interesting to watch because I get a sense she's laughing with her yeah. and is actually really quite charmed yeah. by her and surprised. She won't encounter anyone yeah. like this in her life. Yeah. So it's a it's a bit of both, but I do sense a kind of warmth for Maria, even as she pushes her away, she is warm to her and is kind of understanding where the captain is initially not and is yeah. very much like, what are you doing with my children? This is silly. It's a really f- striking performance, actually. Um, but I also think, like, going... I think she does want them to be together at the end. Like, I, yeah, 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 I, I think agree. there's a real... Um, yes. So, like, her warmth is... And this is what I mean about it. She's just so ha- so comfortable in her skin. Because I read her laughing to be at um, Marie and stuff because she's been stuck with this fucking captain for so yeah, long okay. so dry yeah and she's like oh finally so i'm a bit of a uh, bit of crack that. okay so and i then, have such a different yeah. but i guess and i am very comfortable yeah so she she actually just likes those situations she likes the weirdos yeah and the captain's too straight hmm interesting oh i love it i'm i, I can't really not talk about this film as a whole as well though i mean this is the film which made me love films oh yeah this is the first film even though it's not a grown-up film it's the first film i remember watching when i was a kid recorded off the tv on a cassette sitting down with my dad and brother watching it in two halves probably um adhering to the intermission which happens in the middle and being so excited to watch the second half yeah. in a way i'd never felt before so or I remember since. it really, or since. I mean, <laughs> let, let's be honest. I, I, I love this film yeah. so much. But even still, God, you can hear the excitement in my voice. Even still, watching it now, there were so much things I discovered besides um, a further appreciation for her, which I'm, I'm, is only being heightened now. Um, it's really funny. Yeah, this film is so film, funny. Yeah. The captain and Maria, especially in their first interaction, particularly, are hilarious. Mm. The the Christopher Plummer's line readings are so wonderful. Everything with the whistle and her responses to him whistling mm. at the kids is so funny. I love this film's sense and appreciation of the value of location, which I think mm. is missing from so many Hollywood musicals where you know everything's just happening on sound stages and it therefore feels contained and not open, whereas the sound of music feels as free as anything. Of course, bits of it are on stages, but it appreciates the the scenery of Salzburg, mm. and it is there, and uh, the precise selection of stuff like the gazebo for two moments in the film, the kind mm. of parity of those two moments in the film, young love versus... Um, slightly more <laughs> mature love because they're also not mature they're not love. old they're not old characters at all 
Um, they've lived a life. They've lived more of a life than the children have at that if point. they did something <laughs> Oh, I love that song so much. So I've always, 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 always loved this film. Um, also, at nearly three hours, you have to tip your hat to the editing mm-hmm. in this film because it flies by. Mm. And that is because it's, you know, there's fun songs, there's fun characters, fun story, it's lots of things going on, but it's edited together to make it just whoosh by. Mm. Um, and the scripting and everything to adapt it from the stage. Yeah. I think that it's, a, yeah, I would agree. Um, yeah, it's a great movie. And it's one that I will have watched countless times with, you know, family members mm-hmm. and stuff. So it is really special. I should say our videotape started with How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria? So it was only, okay. it, it was a so certain age where I was like, very whoa, like that bit that's referenced all the time is actually in the movie. It's not a promo thing. Yeah. I, I It blew my mind. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that happened quite so often. I don't know when people have VHS. Yeah, and nowadays, that's it's totally just, not a problem. No, with no, no. But you would just start it at some point. Okay. Very interesting. It's like when I watch Edward Scissorhands ever, it's like, oh, this is where the break is because we had a... Oh, because there was an ad for it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so good. I love the Baroness, and I wish. I mean, nowadays, you know, if if people were to make that, they'd be like, "Oh, let's do a spin-off. Let's do like the Baroness and Max, um, <laughs> take on whatever." <laughs> but at the time, that did not happen. Um, and actually, it's 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 an in, in the trajectory that happens next for Eleanor is. Um, few mediocre films let's say um one that i have to highlight eye of the cat so mm-hmm. directed by the writer of psycho by hitchcock where she plays again a woman in a wheelchair this time an electric wheelchair and is attacked by a cat the scene where she is <laughs> she's living in san francisco and the cat basically pushes her down a street <laughs> oh gosh, it shouldn't be funny, but it's it's the height of cinema. Brilliant, height absolutely of cinema. incredible. I really want to know why, she, like, what was with Zellner and wheelchairs, but maybe she didn't like walking around on sets. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe that's what it was. In notably, I guess, in her career, like, there's um, Bracken's World, which is a TV show um, from 1969 to 1970, and um, it gets her a Golden Globe nomination and gives her stability, as she says. Every movie I'm offered is shot in Europe or Asia or somewhere. I'm tired of running around. But even in with Bracken, she leaves that after 16 episodes because she doesn't like the limited nature of the role. From this point on, she's steadily working in TV and with th- things like The Love Boat, Ghost Story, and of course, Murder, She Wrote. Um, but there isn't many films, but the, you know there are a few. Her final film is Sunburn in 1979 this detective film with Joan Collins. She has a very small part, um, Eleanor Parker, and she absolutely hated it. Um, But that's her final role, like in 1979. And her final TV uh, role was a TV movie called Dead on the Money in 1991. She looks so glamorous. Um, Follow us on social media. I mean, she looks so good. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is her last work. um, So... You know, she she's still like driving and everything into her eighties. Like there was, like she clearly could have worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is really sad. And um, we have to, or I have to, share that she was in the uh, uh, applause on stage. She did do some stage work, but applause is a musical version of All About Eve, and she played the Margot Channing character. 
and that would have been great. Oh my gosh. But yeah, so it, to be honest, not as much going on after The Sound of Music. Again, like, it just seemed wild. Even that wouldn't have been like, you know, nostalgic filmmakers or theatre makers or anybody be like, let's cast this person in these film musicals or stage musicals or any film. I just don't get it, to be honest. Um, even though she, she clearly is happy with her life and everything. You know, if she was interested in acting, I really hope there were offers there. But I don't know. I doubt it, to be honest. Because even if we look at, say, um, Joan Crawford or all, any any actors that were from the Golden Age, Ginger Rogers, like, you don't see them so often in the big screen in their later years. So, yeah. And then... Um, We've never done this before. This is the pers- first person who who has passed, but she died in ninety. Uh, she died at ninety one in twenty thirteen. Oh, so that's Eleanor Parker. Um, have you enjoyed spending time with her? I've loved spending time with her. Honestly, it's been a real treat. I I think I knew as soon as you suggested her that it would be, and. That's why I was very, very much up for it. Even though I had only seen her in The Sound of Music, I just had a real sense that I wanted to see more. And that was the correct thinking. Yeah. We didn't say that she should have been Oscar nominated for The Sound of Music and she should have won. I don't know who won that year, but I know the the head nun, she was nominated. Peggy Lee, yes. I really... Peggy Lee? Is that her name? Yes. Not Peggy Lee... The singer. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. No, of course it's not Peggy <laughs> the singer. That would be very wild. It's Peggy Wood. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait a second. Something, my head can't compute with this information. Yeah, you're like, whoa. <laughs> that is amazing makeup work. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no, not Peggy Lee. Very, very iconic singer. No, Peggy Wood. Who is... Peggy Woodwood. Wonderful in her climb every mountain. She can. She can climb any mountain. <laughs> I've actually never seen Peggy Wood climb anything, have you? I'm a lazy bitch. She's a liar. Um, great. Oh, I can't wait to um, do more people from... Um, yes, me too, I think. Further back in history. Yes, let's let's go let's go back again. Um, if I could turn back down. Sherwood Park. Maybe Eleanor Parker is Cher's favourite actress. It, Eleanor Parker shares shares... Yes, I would believe so. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot. I was trying to think of what musical number would I give um, the Baroness in The Sound of Music, and Woman's World was one I was thinking of. Oh, my God. Tell the truth. Also, I should say, there's a fan video of Robbins dancing on my own with the Baroness, just footage oh of the God. Baroness, which is fantastic. Oh, that is so good. <laughs> so, yeah, she is... She, it's not just me that sees her as this icon. Yeah, <laughs> what? And then you in the corner talking about Eleanor Parker. It's very <laughs> full circle Oprah moment going on. Um, here. I love it. Love it. So... You know, usually here we talk about what we would like to see somebody do in the future. But we're going to now uh, share what our choice would be of what we would have wanted oh God, to have seen them do. But I'd prepare to see, like, haunt Julie Andrews. <laughs> she already does that. Yeah, probably. Every time Julie goes to her, goes to her wardrobe. She's, she's like, there. <gasps> she's behind me. <laughs> oh, where that one? <laughs> um, apparently they had a lovely relationship. Of course, oh. you'd have to say that, but and Eleanor's dead, so we won't know. <laughs> oh, God. 
But anyway, um, apart from haunting Julie Andrews, what would you have liked to have seen Eleanor Parker do? Right, I suspect you're going to have a much more interesting answer than me. Duh. I'm going to <laughs> be very on trend of the episode in general. So we've said that 1950 was such a fabulous year for nominations. And it's not to slight this nominee because I really love her in a film I love, but I would have loved to see Eleanor be double, double Oscar nominated in 1950 and also play Eve in All oh About Eve. Because I think based on, again, talking about a character having a flip within a film, yeah. I've seen now that Eleanor is the best at that. I reckon she could have given the great Anne Baxter a run for her money and given an even more exciting performance, perhaps. Whoa, this is like such a like... This is I find this very difficult. Like my head is like falling apart because I think Anne Baxter is so perfect in that film and her voice and her like there's a queerness to her that I'm not sure Eleanor would do. But mm. I also agree that Eleanor would be fascinating and would also be like a real threat to um, Betty Davis from the off in a yeah. way. I feel like Eve isn't quite. Yeah, I agree. I think she would have been perfect. But I, I wouldn't change a thing about that movie. And um, that's fine. And I, I don't disagree, but... So stay away from the time machine. <laughs> I... I love it. I just think, yeah. I reckon it could have been even more tricky. I think that's what it is. It could have been trickier in a fun way. But I love all about Eve. So I, I'm not necessarily gunning to change anything. I just was fascinated by the idea. Yeah, I'll be I'll be awake all night now listening or thinking about that. <laughs> Honestly, I, I that is such an interesting idea. Mine is mine is a bit boring, I guess, but I was thinking like what was happening in the seventies and stuff that would be exciting to see her do. And this uh, there's a musical by Stephen Sondheim called A Little Night Music. Ooh. And there's a character of Desiree who is this older actress um, who uh, sings Send in the Clowns, which mm. is probably Sondheim's most famous song, I guess, outside of West Side Story. Actually, even with West Side Story, Send in the Clowns. Yeah, is... no, and I would say also Catherine Zeta-Jones' biggest hit. Oh, my God. Well, Catherine Zeta-Jones did play this on Broadway like 10 years ago or something, and um, Glennis Johns... Is that her name? Glennis John? Don't know. But she originated the role... And a lot of people, Bernadette Peters has played it. Elizabeth Taylor plays it in the 1970s film. Judy. Judy who? Dench. Oh, yeah. Judy Dench did it at the National Theatre in the 90s, too. And Desiree is just a really, like, there's this woman who's of a certain age. You know, she has a whole song about the glamorous life. Like, she's lived this life. And this man that she's been interested in, like an old flame, is getting married. Flame again. Here we go. another flamer. And he might be gay. Um... And it's, it's a farce, comedy, poignant sort of thing. And I think she'd be wonderful as this kind of glamorous woman who's kind of just taking a fancy of like, oh, maybe I want a husband now. That'll solve all this. Um, and the lines, the dialogue or it, it, lyrics and everything in it is so, is so good. Like there's a song where she meets the, uh, her old lover who's like, you must meet my wife. And it goes on and on about that. And then, but there's a lyric in it along the lines of, like, oh, she'd strike you as interesting. And Desiree's response is, no, no, I'd strike her first. Oh. <laughs> Do you know, like, that's the yeah. sort of, like, barb sort of thing. I just think it would have been really fun and great. And 
a real showcase. And then, of course, we'd sing Send in the Clowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love this idea. I think this is terrific. And the 1970s film with Elizabeth Taylor and Diana Rigg isn't great. Um, I've not seen. I can imagine. Elizabeth, a bit like Catherine, I would say, from what I've seen, over-eggs everything. <gasps> How do you mean, Catherine? Go to YouTube now, everyone, if you've not seen this performance. It's the, the least egg performance I've ever seen. <laughs> Isn't it rapture? <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, what are you doing there? Um, you don't even like even see her. You can just listen to the her version on um, Spotify. And you think, you know what? Less is more. Oh. And I love Catherine. Yeah, no, I'm all for it. I've watched that many, 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 many times. Catherine and her smoky eyes. I love her. Mm. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah, it is a shame. Like, it is... Like, I'm so glad we, we focused on Eleanor. Um, but it is really wild to me that she didn't get the opportunities that just seemed so obvious. Um, but she did have a wonderful life and loved it. Had many children. And, you know... What more could you ask for? Imagine being 91, reflecting on your life and thinking, bitch, I was the Baroness. I know. I mean, literally. I was nominated with Betty Davis. Yeah, I am the best. (laughs) I am Eleanor Parker. (laughs) Isn't it right? (laughs) Yeah, she's just standing in the mirror, smoking, saying this to herself. I am Oscar nominee, (laughs) Eleanor. Um, Great. Well, next episode will be... We'll be here. <laughs> Dramatic pause. No, we will be talking about another exciting actor. I just nearly said their name for no reason. We don't do that. Um, but that's going to be great. Um, and where can people follow us in the meantime? They can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at don't know her underscore pod. And if you should also like to email us. I don't know if anyone ever does email us, but if you want to, you can do her. You can do her. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! You can do her, and you can email what are us you at offering? don't know her pod at gmail Please do, yeah. Follow us there. Do um, rate our episodes. Share them with people you think would enjoy them. Um, yeah, it's been great um, making them and being able to share it and to get responses from people is very sweet too. Um, so yeah. Is there yeah. anything else we say? Um, <laughs> Honestly, this my cold has driven me mad. No, I mean, uh, go and watch Eleanor Parker if you haven't to this point. Watch The Sound of Music again, but go and watch Caged. Caged, yeah. Yeah, and Detective Story, but Caged. Yeah, Caged. <laughs> I like that call and response. Let's and say it one more time. And Caged. And Caged. Yeah. <laughs> Pleasure as always. Um, thank you for bringing Eleanor to the table. It has been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Georg. What a, yeah, thank you, Gaylord. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>